103. And we have talked about bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And we have talked about what it means to bless the Lord by surrendering our life, surrendering every aspect of our life, our, our spiritual entity, our, our emotions, our mind, our actions, our deeds, our, our conduct, our character, everything should be surrendered to the Lord, to kneel, to kneel before him. That means our attitudes as well. And then we started talking about his benefits the benefits of serving the Lord. And in, chat, in verse 4 of, of Psalm 103, we talked about last week who redeems your life from the pit. I want to talk about and who crowns you with love and compassion. Crowns you. Now, if you... If you are walking down the street and you see somebody wearing a crown, you know one of, well, not be more than two things, but you, you normally think that's somebody that has prestige or you're at Disney World. <laughs> one of the two, usually. But a crown, it, it, it's representative of of authority, of power, of prestige, of honor. Uh, runners, those that used to run in races, Paul talked about they would receive their crown. They would receive a crown of, of, uh, of olive uh, leaves, or you know, and it would set, and they would be recognized as as the champion. In the Olympics, we use medals to confer upon people and, and it's of the same thing that if somebody has a gold medal you know they are the best of the best of the best and we always remember the gold medal we just don't remember the silver or bronze and yet the scripture says that God himself not somebody else not an angel not, not uh, another person but God himself crowns us, acknowledges us, sets us apart in the, in the arena of life. We are able to be seen as being crowned with love and compassion. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you like for people to, when you're walking down the street, or people that know you, that says, God has crowned them with love and compassion. Uh, I don't know about you. I, there's a lot of things that, that I would like to be recognized as, and perhaps you would too. Maybe there's a list going on in your mind of how you would like people to see you. But at the end of the day, when this life is, is fading and, and everything else is in the background, I want people to be able to say his life was crowned by God with love and compassion. Don't you want that? Don't you want people to say it was the grace of God, it was the mercy of God, it was the love of God, it was the compassion of God that made a difference in his life, in your life. 
Let's look at that for a moment. That love. Uh, other translations uh, will say it's compassion, mercy. That, that word love, it, it simply means more than just a feeling. It, it's, it's, it symbolizes somebody that is superior helping somebody that is inferior. Somebody that has the ability helping somebody that has no ability. It, it denotes to us and helps us understand and comprehend that when God crowns us, he is giving us something that we cannot get ourselves, that we can't earn ourselves, we can't buy ourselves, we can't do anything ourselves. It's God in God alone that in his superiority looks at our need and looks at our, at our circumstances and says, I am going to lift them up and crown them with love. Nothing in there, not one word in there. Not, and you can study every single word in the original language. Nothing focuses on us earning that love. It's always because... God has the ability and we have the inability and he moves toward us and crowns us with love and affection. Don't you love that? I love the word compassion as well. They get, get the word compassion and, and the Bible refers to it as your, the bowels of mercy. You ever love somebody so much your stomach hurt? That you feel it in here? You ever, you ever, you ever watch your, your, uh, your children or your grandchildren or, or, or somebody that you really truly love and, and you feel that love so much that you feel it on the inside? That's where they get the term bowels of mercy. It's, it's when you look at somebody and, and you not only love them, but the compassion, the driving force, that driving nature uh, of emotion that is within you compels you to act. The Bible says that almost every single time before Jesus performed any miraculous event, it has this one line. And I, I know I've told you this many times, but I want it to stick. That before Jesus did anything, the scripture says he was moved with compassion. When he saw the widow of Nain and her only son, her life source, she was going to be on the street. She had no husband. She had no other source of revenue. And when Jesus saw her only son being carried out of the city to the cemetery, the scripture says he understood the circumstance and was moved with compassion. It got him from deep within. And he reached over and raised him from the dead. When Jesus was going to see Lazarus, Mary and Martha, 
so distraught with emotion that their brother had died. And they said, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. See, they believed that he could heal. And Jesus said, show me where he's at. And the Bible says something so amazing. It's the, it's the verse that all of us memorize very first. Jesus wept. Jesus didn't cry because he had the inability to do anything. He knew he was getting ready to stand in front of that, that tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was going to walk out of that grave. He knew what he was going to do. And you say, well, why did he cry? Because the same spirit that was in Christ is the one we're reading about in Psalm 103, 4. It says, he loves us and crowns us with compassion. Jesus was moved to the point that he acted. And the psalmist talks to us and says, in difficult times, in hard times, in arduous journeys, God looks at us and our inability to accomplish a task and, to, and our inability to move a mountain and our inabilities and our inadequacy and he is moved with compassion and acts on our behalf. Isn't that powerful? Don't you love the fact that God works on your behalf? It's been said that Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And it's weak men that create hard times. We are living in hard times. And I know that there's many... Uh, reasons for that and I'm just going to tell you mine it's because we are living in a time with a lot of weak men we have had good times that have produced weak men and you say well I'm looking out the world and I, I'm not talking about the world I'm talking about church because as the church goes so goes culture as the church goes, so goes the world. We think everything else in the world revolves and church is just a part of it, but we don't really understand that we are the body of Christ and the only thing that's keeping this thing together is Christ and the cross and his people. It's the church that's the most powerful entity that has ever been on this earth. It is the body of Christ that can move mountains through faith in him. It's the body of Christ. It's the church. 
I know a lot of us have been enamored with, and I have too, uh, on, the, on the Asbury Revival. I think this is like day 11. You know, and there's a lot of people said, well, they just didn't want to take their midterms. Uh, I wish I'd have thought of that. But that's not it. In fact, it was brought to my attention today, and I'd, I'd watched it. It was a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor that had spoke on that, on that Wednesday chapel, and, and as they spoke, and then everybody was dismissed, it was a few students that stayed and began to confess and to repent and, and to change, and then others started joining, and others started joining, and I pray to God it doesn't stop. And I heard this morning that it's now spreading out into other colleges. I don't want it to stop in colleges. I want it to land in every pew in America. I want revival to happen because you say, what is revival? It's the development of strong people. In weak times or in hard times, strong people are developed and they're not developed at, at the gym they're they're developed at the altar where you kneel and you say lord you are lord of everything in my life and nothing else matters and we are living in a time where, and, and, and I, I can't say where that revival is going to go, but I do know this, that we are living in a time when God's people are just tired of being weak and anemic, and they're getting to the place where they want to see God move. And that's what we want. America has had many revivals throughout its history. In the Great Awakening and in the 1730s, the church was lax. The church was indifferent. The church just went through the motions. And it was the weak leadership within the church that, that brought it. And then you had people like Jonathan Edwards that stood up and, and read in a monotone voice, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it was the church that had revival and the church brought change in culture because it was the church that realized we are in hard times and we need strong people. Second great awakening in the 1820s it wasn't necessarily just for the church but it was about the people in the church and, and, and as people began to rededicate and, and give their lives back to God during those times that, that, that the church was birthed and, and it wasn't just the church it wasn't just the people in the pews but ministries flourished the, the uh, Salvation Army and many, many the YMCA and, and many of these other Christian ministries that started off so powerfully were birthed from difficult times but people decided I want God Azusa Street in 1906 the church was traditional formal the frozen chosen and a revival of God's people that said I see the Holy Spirit 
moving in history. And I see the Holy Spirit moving in the first century, but I don't see the Holy Spirit moving today. And in those difficult times, people got a hold of God and a revival burst forth across the United States because men and women decided that they wanted more from God. 1980s was uh, very similar, uh, although it was the moral majority that, that ruled the land. We tried to legalize Christianity and, and write laws that said you couldn't. And by the way, the church lost that one. And you say, well, what was wrong with that? You can't, you can't write laws to tell people not to do things because they're still going to do them. It, and the only thing you're trying to do is tame them and when you tame somebody, you just instill your will over theirs, but their will's still there. God never tames anybody. He transforms you. And revival is transformation of mind and heart and spirit. And what we're seeing today, in my opinion, is, is people that are just tired of the status quo and are wanting to see God move. And let me ask you, rhetorical question, I have to say rhetorical because I know you. Do you want to see God move? Do you want to see God move mightily? Do you want to see people from all walks of life come to faith in him? Do you want to see drug addicts set free? Do you want to see alcoholics being released from the burdens? Do you want to see people from all walks of life, from all aspects of life, set free from themselves and be able to serve God? Because that's where we're going. During the time of the judges, it was like 1250 to, to 1100, about 150 years. This is BC, before COVID. <laughs> Israel was ruled by judges. And, and there was a, a man, and, and this is the, the story of the book of Ruth. If you haven't read the book of Ruth, you need to go back and read it because there's some, there some truths in here that I, I want to bring out that will help us understand how to get where we need to go. Ruth, the book of Ruth is amazing because there was a, a man that was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the house of plenty, the house of surplus. Don't you love that? And, and, and he was born in an amazing time where Israel was prospering and doing fantastic. So his parents named him Elimelech, which means God is my king. And another family had Naomi. And during this same time, during this, this same era of blessing and they named her Naomi which means in God I delight so God is my king and in God I delight got married and as they as they 
started living their lives, Israel took a turn. There was famine in the land. The prosperity wasn't there. So they had two sons, and they named one Mylon and the other one Kilion. And they named them for what they saw. Mylon means sickly. Kilion means fading away, pining. They looked at Israel and they said, Israel's sick. Israel's pining away. And they named their children for what they saw. Can I encourage you? Don't label your future for what you see. Label your future for what God can do. After all, it's in Asbury and other places, these are young people that are just wanting more of God. So here's, here's my God is King Elimelech, and he looks around, and, and, and he does something that just boggles the mind. Elimelech says, I know my name means my God is king. If God is your king, then you obey the laws of your king. And the laws of the king said, stay in Jerusalem, stay in Israel, stay in Bethlehem, because God will never allow his people to be without. It's a promise. And yet, even though his name means my God is king, he decided, I am king. And he packs his family and moves to Moab. Now, Moab is a country, and if you remember Abraham's nephew, Lot, it's a descendant of Lot. And Lot was incredibly selfish you say how do you say that here's Abraham his uncle and says Lot you go one way and I'll go another and the Bible says that Lot saw all the lush greenery and said I want the good land Moab was a descendant of Lot Moab had a different God and Elimelech says I am going to leave and chart my own course. You say, what does that have to do with us? Can I just have my, this is my own personal opinion. You don't have to believe, agree with me. I think that the church in America has allowed ourselves to be moved to Moab under strange gods under gods of prosperity let me just say it you will not see the prosperity doctrine in, in the Bible does God bless his people? yes he does but God is not an ATM machine and there are other things that, that all you need to do is accept Christ as your personal savior once you're in you're in you don't have to change you don't have to do anything all you can just be who you are God's gonna love you just the way you are 
And we have thought that perhaps if we moved that direction, that the Lord would bless. But the Lord has not blessed. And the reason why the Lord doesn't bless is because the Lord understands that he wants you to remain with him when times look great and when times look difficult you stay in Bethlehem you stay where God has planted you scripture says that, that Elimelech, Milon and Kilion they all died they all died in Moab what a sad sad tragedy something amazing happens Naomi God is my delight says I'm tired of Moab I'm going back to Bethlehem and she has two daughters-in-law one of them stays but Ruth says I'm going with you by the way Ruth means friendship you can never go wrong with true friendship because a true friendship will keep you through difficult times. So Naomi and Ruth make that arduous journey from Moab to Bethlehem and they're in Bethlehem and you more than likely know the story where, where Ruth is out trying to pick up grain after the gleaners had already gone through and, and Boaz saw her and asked who she was and said, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And, and Boaz was a cousin of her, of, of, uh, her father-in-law. And, and, and Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. And they have a son. And that son, Boaz, has a son. Jesse and Jesse has a son King David and I find it fascinating that, that when Naomi decided that she was going to leave Moab God brought her friendship God brought her everything even changed her mind because they said your name is my God you my God is my delight and he said she said no change my name tomorrow because I'm so bitter and God said I don't care what you call yourself you're my delight and God blessed her abundantly because she made the move if she would have stayed in Moab the story would have not been written where she was blessed she had to leave from where she was and go to where God was she had to leave her own ideas and go to where God was king she had to leave everything else and move you know what we call that we call that repentance when we are charting our own course, when we're living our own life, when we're doing our own thing, when we are trying to make everything right on our, in our own merit, and we realize, you know, this just isn't working. Maybe it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, I am just struggling. 
And you say, well, that's only for people that have never known God. Oh, no, 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 no. Repentance means a change of heart, change of ways, change of direction. It means men, women, boys and girls. It means anybody and everybody that realizes that, that their life and where they are could be closer to God and there's some things in their life that they can change. There's some attitude. There's some conduct. There's some, there's some practices. There's something in them that says, I want more of God and I'm willing to lay this down and walk toward him. That's what repentance is. It's when God's people, revival, you know, look at the word revival. Revive. To revive, you have to first be vibed. I know you'd like that one. To be alive, if you're, you have to, if you're going to be re, reborn, you have to first be born. And revival is about rekindling, changing, developing, putting afresh something that was once there. It's covering the fire and the ash and breathing on it and putting some new, new logs on it and allowing the fire to burn brightly. And what you're seeing in our culture today is young men and women actually I would say men and women of all ages that are saying I'm turning back to my God is king I'm turning back and I'm going back to the house of plenty I'm going back to the house of bread I'm going back to the God of my fathers and I am forsaking the theologies that tell me that God doesn't work and I am following the word of God that says he never changes and that if I ask then, and, then, and I seek, then I will find. You see, what, Pastor, I, I, I've, I've asked a lot of times, keep asking. But Lord, I've, not, uh, I've knocked a lot of times, keep knocking. Scripture never says how many times you have to ask or how many times you have to knock or how long you have to search. It just says that if you keep doing it, you're going to get what you're wanting because it, it, the length of time that you have to search is directly proportionate to the desire that's in your heart. If you really want it, you're going to keep looking for it until you get it. Do you want to see God? transform your life I don't know about you but I, I, and I've said this before I love church I love, I love being part of church I, I, I'm a church rat I love being here in the building but this is not the church this is the church building what I want is a deeper more passionate walk and relationship with God and if the word of God says that the church can be doing things I want to see the church in its fullness and its power and its glory I don't want to be part of a church that is only 
partially there. I want to be part of the church that is, that is ready for the return of Christ, that we see everything and anything that God wants to do in our lives. Are you with me? Are you with me? Where's your heart? I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. I, I noticed that I was watching, I was looking at the life of David. And I noticed some characteristics in his life. The Bible says he and Jonathan were friends. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Saul, the one was trying to kill him. And the Bible says that he and Jonathan's souls were knit together. Friends. Friends. And I started thinking about his great-grandmother, Ruth. And the same characteristics that his great-grandmother had, where Ruth said, Naomi, I am never going to leave you, but wherever you go, I'm going. Whether or the God you serve, that's who I'm going to serve. And where you die, I'm dying. I'm in like Flint. I am there with you to the end. I see the same characteristic in David. And we're the body of Christ. We're the church. And you say, well, the church used to do this, or the church used to do that. Those characteristics that you long for can happen today. It's just how much do you want them? Would you stand with me?